0: The Lord be with you. And with your a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. In those days, when a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled, this was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be enrolled, each to his own town. And Joseph too went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea. To the city of David that is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and family of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there were shepherds in that region, living in the fields, and keeping the night watch over their flock. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were struck with great fear. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, A Savior has been born for you who is Christ and Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In 1844, the Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard wrote Philosophical Fragments. If the title sounds dry, the book is even drier. I wouldn't recommend it to you unless you have insomnia because it put me to sleep several times during my student years. But Kierkegaard himself seemed to recognize at one point that it was too dry, and while he was writing about the incarnation of the Lord, the implications of God becoming a human, he decided, let me give you something to come up for air. He wrote a parable in the middle of this book, entitled The Parable of the King and the Maiden, And although the book is not discussed that much, this parable to this day is very famous. It's about a king, and not just any king, the greatest of all kings, a king so powerful that other kings trembled before him, a king who could be denied nothing because he was so powerful. Although he was a good king, a kind king, the sheer expanse of his power scared everyone, And so no one could deny him anything for fear of how that power might be wielded against them. This king fell in love with the most unlikely of people. Kierkegaard describes her as a maiden with no education, no status, no station, no grace, and no beauty. A rather harsh description of this maiden. But the king does fall in love with her to everyone's chagrin, and he wants her to marry him. And at first he thinks, I'm the king. No one can deny me anything. Even though she's a commoner and I'm royal, I'll just tell her I want her to be my queen. But then he realizes that there is no guarantee that that would instill love within her. Yes, she will come and live with him in his palace. But will there be love in her heart for him? Maybe she will come out of fear, out of intimidation. After all, if other kings can deny him nothing, why should this peasant woman be any stronger to resist his demands? And so he realizes, that's just not going to work, because I want a soulmate. I want someone who loves me, not one who is scared into coming to stay with me. So he goes to his cabinet, and he asks them, what can I do, not rather to get her scared, but to woo her to love me. And the cabinet says, well, even though she's a peasant, put a gold crown on her head and silk and damask robes on her. Give her all the choicest foods. Let her see what the palace life will be like. And at first the king thinks, well, that's great. But then he thinks, will she love me for me? Or will she love me for all the things I'm giving her? And will she ever really get over the fact that she is a peasant and I am royal. Will she have what we would call today imposter syndrome, not really believing that she belongs there, overwhelmed by the sheer glory and wealth of his court? So he realizes that won't work either. And he goes back to his court over and over again, asking, What can I do? And nothing seems to come to him. And so finally he comes to a decision that is difficult but that he believes is the right one. If he truly wants her to love him for himself, and not because he's king, and not because he has a lot of money and glory and fame, and not because he has the power to force her, then he must become her equal. He must divest himself of all his royal prerogatives, of all his power, of all his wealth and glory. She lives in a hovel, he must live in a hovel. She dresses in rags. He must dress in rags. And make no mistake, this is no just pretending. He does truly give up everything and lives as she does. And gradually over the course of the days, the weeks, the months, and finally even the years, she comes to notice this man. And he proposes to her. Not out of glory, not out of power, but simply out of love. Kierkegaard does not finish that story. He says that the king is Jesus, and the maiden is the church, and all the individuals within it. And it is up to the church, and to each one of us, how we will respond, how we will finish that story. He won't overpower us. He won't force us into loving him, because that would be abuse. He won't seduce us with glory and power and honor. Rather, he will become something infinitesimal, a little baby lying in a manger, a feeding trough, in rags and swaddling clothes, set upon dirty hay, in the midst of a stable with smelly animals and smelly manure. You can't get any more low than that. And he says, will you love me? Not because I can overpower you. Not because I can seduce you. But simply because I want you. And I want you to want me as well. Will you love me? Not for glory. Not for riches. Not out of gratitude or intimidation. Not because I am more powerful or more wealthy. But because I need you. I am love itself. And I want that love returned. And then Kierkegaard, after giving us this wonderful parable, quotes the oldest hymn that we have in the church that Paul himself quotes from the letter to the Philippians. Jesus, though he was truly God in his nature, did not deem his divinity something to be held to too tightly. Rather, he emptied himself of all of his divine prerogatives and took the form of a slave. He was known to truly be human, and it was thus that he emptied himself. Jesus did not give us a lofty wave from his royal throne. He came to us in a feeding trough and said, love me. Now the question is, what will be our answer? Each one of us has the power to complete that story. Will we love him or not? Let us pray that inasmuch as he has loved us with an infinite, sacrificial love, we can return a portion of that love to him in thanksgiving, in joy, and in in authenticity.